Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Well, senior Israeli officials keep trying to stop or at least amend the American tendency to renew the nuclear deal with Iran. Jerusalem and Washington are on the same page regarding the determination to fight Iran's aggressive moves in the Middle East. Iranian forces and proxies in Syria and elsewhere pose continuous danger to both Israel's territory and American troops, either each on its own or in various forms of cooperation, the Israel Defense Forces and U.S. Central Command have been striking Iran's affiliated targets. It was no coincidence that Defense Minister Benny Gantz visited CENTCOM's headquarter in Tampa, Florida, with an enhanced public posture. What are we to make of it as the nuclear deal looms large? Joining us from Central Israel is Brigadier General in Reserve Yossi Kupilvase, who is the Project Director of Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, and the former head of research and assessment at the IDF's uh, Military Intelligence Directorate. Thank you for joining us, General. Indeed, also joining us from another location in central Israel is Brigadier General in Reserve Devron Gavish, who is uh, the former air defense chief of the Israel Air Force, as well as a former senior representative of the Israeli Ministry of Defense in Europe. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Thank you. And also uh, with me in the studio is... Always our TV7 editor-at-large and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk and Powers in Play and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on specifically Israel's campaign between the wars, or Mabam in Hebrew, what we call in its initials, uh, particularly vis-a-vis -vis the Islamic Republic of Iran. To what degree are we in a stage that this campaign between the wars is nearing the latter part of the equation? So while uh, there is a public and, of course, also private uh, disagreement between the government of Israel and the Biden administration regarding the uh, nuclear file and the uh, revival of the Joint Comprehensive uh, Plan of Action, there is um, no daylight between the Israeli uh, Defense Forces uh, and the Israeli intelligence community uh, in general and the Department of Defense, represented in this region by the Central Command, CENTCOM, uh, which is headquartered uh, at McDill Air Force Base near Tampa, as you mentioned. But of course, um, there is always uh, some presence here in the region, be it uh, the uh, Fifth Fleet, which is the naval component of CENTCOM, or the um, air component. Uh, again, there are expeditionary uh, forces based in Iraq and uh, elsewhere. And the cooperation and collaboration between Israel and the United States against the common adversary, Iran and its uh, proxies, and the um, idea that a common intelligence picture or air picture as the case may be, regarding drones and ballistic missiles uh, in order to uh, uh, protect both the uh, friendly Gulf countries as well as Israel. This is taking root, and there are protocols uh, being drafted and exercised. And um, it also turns out that there are strikes 
by Israel, mostly by the Israeli Air Force, but some from the ground or even uh, from the sea, and by uh, the uh, CENTCOM forces, as happened in mid-August after several attacks by um, Iran, uh, Iranian uh, militias or proxies against American forces both in um, southeastern Syria as well as in the north. Well, who better to ask about uh, the intelligence assessment uh, uh, than the general uh, in charge or uh, until uh, uh, late, uh, as of late, uh, of research and assessment of the idea of military intelligence, Directorate uh, General uh, Kupel Vassel, to what degree do you see the current uh, state in an accelerated pace, considering also everything that is occurring on the diplomatic track in Vienna and elsewhere? Well, I think, uh, of course, everything is uh, related to everything else. But uh, the campaign between the wars uh, goes on for a long time now. And uh, has in mind the necessity to minimize the capability of the Iranians to strike against Israel if uh, there is going to be a need to take action against the Iranian uh, nuclear facilities and uh, the Iranians will look for some uh, targets to retaliate uh, for the damage done to them. And uh, in this respect, I think the Americans share the same uh, point of view that we have, that this is uh, justified and has to be done. And the place where it should be done is Syria, where the rules of the game are that Israel had, enjoys a very wide freedom to maneuver. And uh, not everything it does, or not everything that everybody thinks it does, means that uh, somebody is going to retaliate. Uh, unlike what's happening in Lebanon, where the rules are quite different. In, in this way, we managed to uh, slow down the pace with which Hezbollah gets uh, advanced weaponry from uh, the United States, from uh, Iran, and uh, we slow down also the entrenchment of uh, Iran forces in uh, in Syria itself, especially in the south. That meant that that said, it doesn't mean that we really st stop it totally. Uh, there are progress. Uh, there is progress done both on the uh, precise, guide, precisely guided munitions that the, the Hezbollah is trying to get from Iran and uh, in the entrenchment of Iranian forces in, uh, in Syria. What mm -hmm. uh, is important in this respect for cooperation between uh, Israel and the United States is that uh, the Americans, once they are attacked, they retaliate. Americans, unlike Israel, don't wait for just to see a convoy of uh, some armed ship from uh, Iran to uh, Lebanon to take action. They uh, act only when they are shortened. And uh, that's what we've seen in mid-August was that uh, several uh, occasions in which uh, the Americans were targeted by Iranian uh, proxies, and they responded uh, against the targets that belonged to these proxies and to the Iranians that trained them. Uh, this is a totally different approach than, uh, than the Israeli one, and uh, the Israelis are much more uh, determined to, to take action. Indeed. The other thing that happened recently is that uh, because Russia has become so close to uh, the Iranians taking their uh, UAVs in order to fight in, in Ukraine uh, and sharing their view on the uh, nuclear talks, uh, the, the threat coming from Russia uh, that may uh, limit our freedom to maneuver in uh, operating Syria was uh, about to rise. Just fortunately, because of the Ukraine war, the Russians had to take out of Syria some of their uh, anti-aircraft anti batteries, 
and uh, is compensated for the political uh, development that could have been uh, in, uh, just opposite to what, uh, what Israel needs in, in, in Syria. So all in all, I think Israel enjoys uh, relatively wide freedom to maneuver in Syria and to operate in Syria against this uh, uh, effort of the Iranians to build a big capability, a considerable capability uh, to strike Israel in case of uh, Israeli operation against, or Israeli or an American operation against uh, Iranian targets uh, related to the nuclear uh, hostilities. And that's where we stand right now. General Gavish, I'd like to hear <coughs> your take on this matter, considering also, of course, from uh, the perspective as uh, Israel's uh, or the Israeli military's former air defense chief, uh, do you see the the particularly all the missiles that are spoken of, of uh, Hezbollah and their arsenals. We're talking about tens of thousands, if uh, not more than 140,000, uh, uh, as well as other surface-to-surface uh, -surface capabilities of the Islamic Republic of Iran and its proxies. Uh, is this truly a deterrent uh, to Israel's defensive capabilities and that of the United States? Do those impede on the ability to uh, act in a certain way that would then be more deliberate vis-a-vis -vis Tehran's malign behavior throughout the region? I don't think that uh, deterrence is the right term. Uh, probably those are some uh, considerations that uh, we have to take while operating uh, uh, in the Middle East. But uh, I would like to mention before, because you were uh, talking about the war between wars, and this is quite recent terms. And uh, what, what exactly is it? I'm not sure that everyone is fully aware of what does it mean the war between the wars. So war between the wars, uh, I would say, have the uh, main two targets. One of them is to have the precise uh, state of mind of uh, within Israel and uh, out of Israel uh, to understand that even in between the war, the period that we are in, we are fighting. And uh, previous to it, we used to call it, uh, we had war time and we had peace time. But unfortunately, in our area, in peacetime, during peacetime, there is a lot of uh, fighting uh, that is going on. So uh, this, word, this term was uh, invented in order to be much more precise uh, looking into the strategic environment. The second thing is that uh, within this period of time, you still prepare yourself to the next war not to the previous one, which is also very important from a military point of view, not to prepare yourself to the past wars, uh, to, the, to prepare yourself to the, uh, uh, to the next uh, wars. Uh, going back to your question, uh, there is no doubt that uh, one of the main challenges is uh, our enemies uh, bringing into the arena more and more uh, rockets and uh, missiles, uh, but not only that, uh, UAVs, uh, we are seeing more, uh, more of that if I'm talking about the threats uh, that uh, we are looking at them as uh, uh, for Israeli Air Force Air Defense, uh, because there are all, also other threats like uh, cyber uh, threats, like uh, EW threats, like uh, threats which are uh, against our Navy, uh, the precise weapons uh, that uh, have already have been used already, but uh, looking into the future, it could be even much more uh, complicated. So yes, there is a lot of uh, uh, missiles which are coming into the arena, but also air defense systems. Uh, some of them are uh, equipped by the Russians. They are there in uh, Syria. Uh, so from our point of view, we look at it as uh, something that uh, we should consider while we're still uh, doing what uh, we need to do 
in order to um, um, to keep uh, the what we've calling uh, what we've been calling uh, the red lines of uh, Israel. So this is something that it doesn't deter us, but for sure something that uh, we need to uh, consider on the offense and also in the defense. As Jonathan. you know, in the last uh, years uh, we developed. Uh, 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 capabilities in this area of uh, active uh, defense and uh, uh, the, the multi-tier concept uh, which was built here in Israel, uh, this is exactly what we are doing on the defense and, and others. Indeed. Mr. Owen? Um, there is one point um, which is uh, very important to emphasize, especially to viewers abroad, outside of uh, Israel. For the last four years, Israel has been characterized by political instability, these um, uh, continuous uh, rounds of elections, and new governments, new uh, prime ministers, and the like. However, on this particular point that we are talking about, there is continuity. And uh, it is not part of the uh, political debate or political uh, controversy. And one reason is that it so happens, and it is very rare in uh, Western democracies of late, that uh, the uh, key officers, when all of this started, the campaign between the wars, uh, former Chief of Staff Benny Gantz and former Air Force Chief Amir Eshel are now occupying the top two positions in the Ministry of Defense as Minister and uh, Director General. And obviously, they are backing up uh, what their successors uh, in the military uh, have been doing. It all started in January of 2013. We are um, fast approaching the 10th anniversary of the first strike under Gantz and Eshel uh, in Syria. So uh, Israel, uh, while uh, now uh, being plagued by many problems, is blessed, at least uh, on this particular point, by continuity. General uh, Kupilva, so I'd like to hear from your perspective. Uh, Mr. Owen spoke about the 10-year period, of course. Uh, there have been multiple strikes, uh, particularly against uh, uh, the Iranian proxies, but also against Iranian elements proper. Uh, and only a handful of cases where the Iranians actually responded uh, overtly uh, to those strikes, uh, trying to, uh, of course, also failing, but trying to uh, target Israel. Do you see this as a successful story on Israel's part, or is there some strategy in mind from Iran's perspective that uh, it is still pursuing, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense uh, from an operational level? First of all, I think both sides should be uh, praised for their perseverance and the uh, insistence on uh, promoting their goals, both the Israelis who keep uh, punching and uh, the Iranians. And uh, the Iranians who keep shipping uh, their uh, people and uh, weapons to Syria and to uh, Lebanon through Syria. And both sides are, it tells you how committed they are to uh, uh, getting the, the goals, uh, the goals uh, in, in this uh, confrontation. Uh, the Iranians understand that uh, it's not easy for them to uh, retaliate from Syria. That's why we keep punching them to make sure that this is going to be the case. And uh, once they try, they fail. So it's not a good idea to keep trying. And, they, and the way they cope with the situation is that by they bring more weapons, they bring more capabilities into Syria, and not uh, responding because their point is not to win the war between the wars, 
their point is to win the war, and uh, the war that would be in the end. The, they accumulate, uh, as uh, was mentioned here, they accumulate a huge amount of uh, rockets, uh, some of them precisely guided in uh, the hands of Hezbollah. They believe that this is their uh, safety net, uh, the, their deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Israel, or part of their deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Israel, in the case of uh, trying to convince Israel not to carry out an attack against the Iranian the nuclear facilities. And uh, that is the most important thing from their point of view, not uh, hitting Israel here and there, which they try occasionally, but not the main issue. And, uh, from Israel, from Israel point of view, it is a success. It is a success because uh, if we didn't do all of what we have done, uh, the situation would have been much, 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 much worse. And the number of uh, precisely guided rockets and missiles in the hands of Hezbollah would have been 10 times, at least 10 times more than what they have today. So from this point of view, uh, this is very important because at the end of the day, if the um, Iranians are not going to be successful in equipping Hezbollah with a considerable amount of uh, precisely guided uh, rockets, it's going to be uh, Hezbollah is going to be less inclined to participate uh, fully in uh, confrontation uh, in a war against Israel. Uh, the fact is that uh, they did get enough in order to threaten, but we see that uh, they they have all kinds of considerations, and this is one of them. How much capabilities do we actually have? Are we well equipped for uh, a couple of uh, days of fighting, or are we well equipped for a long, a long fight? And that's uh, something that we want to keep them uh, aware of the limitations. And that's uh, the success of these 10 years of uh, ongoing war campaign between the wars. Uh, among those, uh, of course, to be praised for uh, Iran's failure uh, to penetrate Israel is uh, General Gavish. And I'd like to ask uh, your perspective on this angle uh, to uh, to also expand on it uh, with regard to the cooperation that we're hearing about with uh, uh, our newly acquired partners in the region, also those that we may not have uh, necessarily political relations with. To what degree are the Americans uh, driving this not only by uh, vocal statements, but uh, by concrete actions as well. Well, that's a that's a that's a good question, and it's also uh, you know if I would take some of the previous uh, question of yours, uh, I would like to say that um, you know when first the the arena is completely different uh, from from the past. I mean, if we look on the last ten to fifteen years, last time that we have a real war in the north was in two thousand and six. So if we compare. What, what happened in the last 10 to, to 15 years, this is a completely different environment uh, that we are in. Uh, today, the Russians are in Syria. The Iranians, as we just talked, are strongly there. Even the Turks are involved uh, in uh, Syria. Uh, Hezbollah became, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, uh, to one of the largest military forces. I mean, even if you compare uh, the Hezbollah to states in Europe, Hezbollah has a much greater capabilities, the military capabilities that uh, a lot of, uh, if compared to a lot of uh, countries uh, within the, within the Europe. So it's a completely uh, different environment that uh, we are uh, in, very complex one, uh, from a military point of view and only for, and also from a strategic point of view. And going back to your question, I think that one thing that is uh, significant and we need we need to talk about it is the the shiftment between uh, Israel being under Yukon and uh, Senko. This is something that uh, was decided two years ago, and this is something that is happening uh, uh, during those days. 
And this is a completely different uh, story because uh, CENTCOM, this is the U.S. command that is uh, fighting in this area of the Middle East for long years, very experienced in uh, fighting in the Middle East, uh, knows the area, knows the, uh, the, the players in this uh, area. And uh, so sh sh shifting now, working with uh, CENTCOM, this is something that uh, for sure could uh, and will enhance uh, our capabilities uh, in the West capabilities, I would say, but uh, uh, of course from Israel, our capabilities uh, uh, for cooperation in this uh, region. And as you said, not only with the United States, also with some uh, other countries, uh, our uh, ability to be uh, together with the CENCOM in this area Allows, uh, allows us to, to speak with the other players in, in the Middle East. Uh, so this is something that is happening, and uh, for sure this is something that uh, would enhance uh, the, the Israeli capabilities uh, if the time would come. Indeed. Well, intelligence sharing obviously was already quite robust uh, with some of the players here in the region. Nevertheless, uh, this shift from uh, the European Command to the Central Command here in the Middle East and North Africa, it does provide a certain element, Mr. Owen, to uh, the ability of Israel to communicate with uh, partners or not necessarily officially so, since uh, even Pakistan and Saudi Arabia are under uh, the umbrella of uh, uh, CENTCOM. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there are here some iotas. Well, one one should not uh, get um, too much carried away um, because the real cooperation is between the Israel Defense Forces, including, of course, the Navy and the Air Force, and the American forces and headquarters here. And through the Americans, most of the information is relayed to the other uh, partners uh, in the Gulf. Uh, the uh, Israeli uh, Gulf or Israeli Arab cooperation, while existing and while striving uh, to get better, is much more limited. And when you have uh, exercises or even operations, it is mostly Americans and Israelis on one hand and Americans and other on the other hand. You don't, you don't uh, have uh, one uh, ship company uh, made up of Americans, Israelis, Saudis, uh, Emiratis, and the like. Not yet. Uh, um, however, however, um, for CENTCOM, the special relationship with the Israeli Defense Forces equals what uh, we have uh, come to uh, know regarding the special relationship between the United States, Australia, Canada, and Great Britain. The public is not um, aware of it. But the uh, excellent uh, camaraderie and uh, confidence between the two militaries, as General Gavish, for instance, uh, can uh, testify to uh, having been in constant touch with his American um, opposite numbers, is excellent. Indeed. Uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to give each and every one of you a brief uh, opportunity to assess what's about to happen in the near future. Uh, we'll start with you, Mr. Owen, since I, I'd like to also hear your angle uh, to the aspect of uh, even though our regional partners have aligned interests uh, with the state of Israel vis-a-vis -vis the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, operationally speaking, we do not see the same resolve. Is this something that you expect to see in the near future as well? 
It all depends on the um, JCPOA, on the deal with Iran. Because if Iran uh, gets uh, sanction relief, if Iran gets back into the game financially and as a strategic uh, power, then the Gulf countries uh, will uh, renew and uh, improve their relations with Iran including at Israel's expense. Indeed, of course, we just uh, heard also the former CENTCOM commander, uh, uh, General Kenneth uh, Frank McKenzie, speak about the fact that the JCPOA or the reinvigoration of this JCPOA will bring uh, significant more capacity to the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, which would ultimately impact uh, the malign behavior of the Islamic Republic in our region. General Kupilvasil, to what degree is Israel preparing itself to contend with that? To a large degree, but uh, is, it, is this degree enough? I'm not sure. But, uh, definitely the Middle East is on the verge of uh, major changes, major strategic changes. Whether we conclude, uh, we end up with the conclusion of a uh, new JCPOA or not, this is anyhow going to be a new situation. It's a totally new situation. With the JCPOA, the Iranians are going to be much more active. With the, without the JCPOA, the danger of the Iranians trying to rush to a bomb are going to be uh, significant. So anyhow, we are going to be in a situation where we have to be on uh, very high alert to both uh, options because if the JCPOA succeeds, the, the proxies are going to get uh, stronger, feel uh, emboldened, uh, the money that uh, the Iranians are going to send them. Anyhow, it's going to be challenging. And this is not the only thing that's happening. There's uh, upheaval in so many places in the Middle East. Look at what's happening in Iraq. Look at what's happening in Iran, in uh, Lebanon. Look at uh, what's Indeed. happening in Yemen. Syria, all, all these areas are uh, going through major changes. Israel has to be an alarm, an alert, an alert uh, very, uh, very well prepared to any eventuality. Even when we speak about the, the, the feeling that uh, some of these uh, uh, groups have that Israel, that because the United States is weak, Israel is weaker, they may uh, turn that into uh, efforts to challenge Israel. We see it with uh, Nasrallah and his uh, references to what happens if Israel operates the Karish. Uh, uh, gas field, and uh, all of that uh, tells us that we have to be on the tip of our toes at this point of time. Uh, it's not easy because we are in a continuous, uh, uh, continuously uh, political uh, crisis. Uh, it's not easy. Indeed. Fortunately, we are united on this issue, as the minister I think, right, not only on the campaign between the wars, but also on confronting the external threats. We are pretty much united. General Gavish, uh, shortly about 30 seconds. Well, I think that, uh, you know, from Israel, the, what we should do is uh, really to enlarge our toolbox as much as we can. The area around us is uh, going to be even more challenging than uh, it is today. And keep ourselves under the, our military strategies that uh, are talking about uh, our attack capability, our alert capabilities, our defense capabilities and our deterrence capabilities. I think those strategies are still relevant uh, into the future and we have to be strong on all the different uh, pillars. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank General Kupilvasil, General uh, Gavish, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.